0: The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in 1 John. For previous messages or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, I can't believe it, but we are stepping into our last chapter in 1 John. It has been an incredible time, so if you have your Bibles, you can find your place. We're going to eventually get to chapter 5 uh, in First in, uh, John. Uh, so let me start us off this morning, though, a little bit strange, uh, with a biology lesson. All right? Uh, let me ask you a strange question, and that is this. Um, how many of you here were able to give birth to yourself? Anyone able to birth yourself Anyone? Some of you are like, now you have my attention. Like, Welcome to Stone Oak Bible. Um, I, I'm going somewhere, hopefully, with this. Uh, but anyone? No one? Um, of course not. Of course not. Uh, to put it in a more uh, physically, you, want, you are not the leading cause in your birth. Right? Um, this isn't the time, nor is it the place, to go into the beauty of that phenomenon. Uh, but you are not the leading cause in your birth. You needed help in that one. You needed help with with that one. Um, We get that when we think of our physical birth, right? Um, But I want us to shift our focus into our spiritual birth, into our new birth, because, church, the same is true for our new birth. So before we get into 1 John, what I want to do is lay some context for us. Because John is going to use this term, born of God, new birth. He's going to use this term all throughout our letter, so I want to, I want to lay some foundation for us. Uh, you don't have to turn here with me, uh, but I'll, I'll have it on the screens for us. But I want to give us a little bit of context, and I want to do that by looking at the Gospel of John. All right, so the Gospel of John, we're going to look at uh, John chapter 3. So Jesus here is approached by a man, and they have a, an interesting conversation which Jesus typically has these kind of conversations. Um, So listen to this. There was a man, um, a, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So right off the bat, this man notices there's something special about this man, Jesus. I mean, look at the things he's doing. Something is going on there. He's divine. He's from God. Now listen to Jesus' response. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Don't you love when Jesus just seems to totally ignore what was just said to him? (laughs) Do you even see any? It's just, it feels like it's out of nowhere here. Um, I mean, think about it. Nicodemus says, you seem to be from God. You would expect Jesus to say, thank you, I am, right? But then Jesus drops into this born-again discussion. And keep in mind, this concept of being born-again was, it it may be familiar to us. We use this language, born-again Christians. We use this language before. For Nicodemus, this was very new to him. And so he responds um, probably similar to the way that you and I would respond. In verse 4, it says, how can a man be born when he is old? It's a good question. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That's a gross question, um, <laughs> but it's honest, right? Uh, verse 5, Jesus answers and says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what, I say, at what I said to you. You must be born again. So Jesus says, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Must. Prerequisite for entering is that you are born again. Now, I want to look at one more before we get to 1 John. I want to look at one of John's friends, uh, Peter. Peter. In the book of Second of Peter, remember Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He was another one of John's friends. And listen to what he says. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he, that's God, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has caused us. So Jesus says, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Peter says, and God causes that. God causes our new birth. God causes us to be born again. So just like physically, right, we understand that we are not the the leading cause in our own births, Um, just as physically we get that, the same is true spiritually in that you are not able to birth yourself. That you're not able to do you're not the leading cause in your physical birth or your new birth that you're not the leading cause in that just as there are things going on to bring about the moment of your physical birth there are things going on to bring about the moment of your spiritual birth so let me be really clear on this one just as our foundation your new birth when when you as a sinner were saved When you as a sinner were saved, um, that is an act of God alone. That is an act, a work of God through his spirit, through Jesus Christ, God did that. God worked on you, giving you new life in him, new birth in him. This is an act of God. You don't assist, prompt, help, you respond. Let me say it again. When it comes to your new birth, you do not assist in that. You do not prompt it, you don't help it, you respond in faith as God does a work in us. It's like a newborn baby who instantly begins to cry. Church, we are like that in that we have been given new birth and instantly we respond by crying out to our Father. That is new birth. So let me define this as, as kind of the foundation for where we're, where we're headed as John uses it. New b- birth or born of God. Here's what it means. It's the act of God on a person's life through the Spirit to open their eyes, to give them a new heart, to make them a new creation. That's it. So when, when John uses this term, born of God, I want this to be on your mind. All right, That it is an act of God on a person's life through the Spirit to open their eyes to give them a new heart and to make them a new creation. It's like what Paul says when he says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is passed away, the old the new. That's what we're talking about when John uses. It. This is new birth, and this is what it means to be born of God. So having said that, I want us to step into chapter five, because this concept is going to be thread all throughout. Okay? So let's step into chapter five together in first John says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So everyone who believes uh, God believes that Jesus is the Christ. John has already said this all throughout our letter, um, that this is the irreducible Christian truth. You can't take this away and still be Christian. This is is what it means to be Christian, that we stand on Jesus is the Christ, that he is God, that he is man, that he was exactly who he claimed to be. This is the irreducible Christian truth. Um, This is the test, like we talked about in chapter 4. This is the test, that that those who are born of God believe that Jesus is the Christ. And everyone who loves the Father, everyone who is a child of God, also loves those who have been born of God. So to put it really simply, to love dad is to love your family. To love your dad is to love your brother and sister is what John sets before us here. Love God, love others. Believe in Jesus as the Christ and and love one another. Now, he continues here in in verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments, and his commandments aren't burdensome. This is a beautiful impact verse. I love this verse. Um, so I have a a house full of boys, little boys. Um, they are awesome. They are a joy. My youngest is is eighteen months old, uh, ish. He, it's hard to keep track of that now. Um. For those of you who have little boys or have had little boys, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm guessing if you've had little girls, although I've never had one, I'm guessing you're going to be able to relate to this too. By the way, girls, I don't know, they scare me. I'm used to the boys, but for those of you who have little girls, you can probably relate to this too. But my youngest name is Theo. And Theo is um, determined, on mission, on mission. I mean totally focused and destined to severely hurt himself. Right? He is, he is good at this. He seeks it out. He looks for opportunities. Um, he's exploring his boundaries. And by exploring his boundaries, what I mean is he's, he's endangering himself as much as possible in one day. All right? that's, that's him. Now, as a dad, I know this about my little boy. I know he's a climber. I know it. Right. As a dad, I know this. And so because I love him and out of love for him, I, to the best of my ability, give him boundaries. That Candace and I as parents, we love him. We give him boundaries because we love him. Not because we enjoy saying the word no 750,000 times in one day. That's not why. But we do it because we love him. We love him, we know what's best for him, we give him these clear boundaries. Now, when Theo ignores us, when he ignores our, our boundaries and when we take our eye off him for one second and he darts over and does something that hurts himself, Theo's world is not good at that time, at that moment. Right? All is not good in Theo's in Theo's little world. Because my boundaries as a dad are meant to provide him with the best opportunity to thrive, to grow, and to not hurt himself. That's what my boundaries, that's what our boundaries are for, even though he does not see it like that. Even though he does not at all see see it like that, my boundaries are for his good and for his pleasure. Now, church, the same is true and more when it comes to me and my heavenly Father my perfect, all-knowing, all-loving heavenly Father. Um, His commands are for my good. They are joy. John says his commands aren't burdensome. They're not oppressive. They're not abusive. They are for our joy. So when we are given a new heart, when we are given New birth, as we talked about. All of a sudden, the things that were once that we viewed as being oppressive or, or burdensome, all of a sudden, God's commands become our joy. That it is our joy before us that we get to walk out and, and live by his commands. So think about this. The world looks at the commands of God our community looks at the commands of God as though they are a set of rules specifically designed to kill their joy. That God is this wonderful killjoy in the sky. That just his purpose is to take, to suck the the fun out of life. That's what he does. When the reality is, is that God's commands... God's commands for us is is the path given to us to show us the path to true joy, to true satisfaction, to true fulfillment. The world sees freedom as no one is telling me what to do. We're Christians. We don't see freedom that way. What we see freedom is when we are free from the bondage that we were once in. The bondage that we lived in to our destructive behaviors and sin and and Pat, all of that, that's freedom. Um, We walk in the commands of God because we love God and because they aren't burdensome. They are a joy. And oh, that we would see them that way. My fear is that we view God's commands one of two ways, typically. Uh, One, uh, we kind of blow them off. But we look at God's commands, we know what he says, we blow them off, and we know grace is there. He'll forgive me, right? I mean, we have freedom and grace and forgiveness and love. and, And so we blow off the things that God has told us to do. And you know what the world sees when they see that? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. And they want no part of it. The second way that we can approach these commands is that we do our very best to live by them, and we do it with this starchy, nasty face on. We are miserable, joyless. I like the word starchy. I think I'm going to use it. Um, that's us, right? And when the world looks at us scowling over in the corner, they want nothing to do with that. They want nothing to do with that. But church, they should look at our lives and see true joy. True and lasting and contagious joy as we live out the way that we were designed to live. So God created you, He knows you best, He designed you, He knows the way you were designed to experience true joy. Because he happens to be the one who designed you that way. He created you this way. He knows you. And his commands are given to you so that you know how you can walk in the way you were designed to walk. Your most natural, the way he designed you to be. That's what his commands are given to you. So you can experience and find true joy when the world sells you A lot of other things. I mean, we're going to talk about this in a moment, but think about this. When the drive to accumulate wealth, accumulate things, more power, more relationship, when all of the things like that, that the world sells you, when you start to find no fulfillment in it, you're like a dog chasing its tail, never finding satisfaction. Um, When those things happen, God stands here in front of you and he says, I have a better way. There is a true joy that can be yours. My commands are not a burden. There is a better way. There is a true way. And this way, this joy, the world's not going to understand it. Uh, Let let me just be really honest. As I was thinking through this this week, I was thinking about our community. And some of the the morals that we can preach and ethics that we can preach um, can be pretty uncomfortable to a lost world. I don't know if you've thought about this much. Um, But we're looking a world in the eye who have been searching for happiness. Here's an example. Been searching for happiness in sex all their life. Passionately pursuing it. I don't know if you realize, but our culture is full of this. We are, we, are, we are pursuing this as a way to find happiness, satisfaction, joy. And we're looking at a people who have grown up in this culture, who have been pursuing sex all their life as a means of happiness, and we're saying, stop it. No more adultery, no lust, no pornography, um, no extramarital affairs. Sex is for one man and one woman in marriage. Now, do you know what that sounds like? To someone who does not have new life? Burdensome. Burdensome. Let me give you another example. Um, our message tells those who have dedicated themselves. This is really true to where we, we, where we are in our community. Dedicated themselves to, to getting up in their career. To uh, accumulating things. To finding identity in the things that they have and the the amount of things that they have just pursuing that and we look at them and we say stop it your money is an idol instead we need to follow jesus and give ourselves the way he gave himself you need to give to the poor you need to give to others you need to give of yourself sacrificially that your identity and happiness can't be in your things it's in christ alone that's our message do you know what that sounds like to someone who has been pursuing what the world has sold them? Burdensome. Burdensome. Let me give you one more example. Um, Someone who doesn't like to confront people. They like to be private. They don't want to butt into other people's lives. And then our message comes around that says, no, you need to go make disciples. You need to start... Sharing the love of Jesus everywhere you are, your work, your school, every, your home. You know what that sounds like to someone who is, does not have new life? Burdensome. Why would I sign up for that? Why would I sign up for that? The commands, for those who are not yet followers of Jesus, who have not yet seen the wonder of the gospel, the rules and commands can seem like a burden. But church, as the Spirit transforms you, as the Spirit transforms us, as we are born of God, the commands are no longer a burden but a joy. And I want to read to you something before we move on. Uh, You don't have to turn here. I want you to hear this, though. And as I read this, I want you to honestly um, ask yourself, is this the way you see the commands of God? More than that, is this the way the world sees you? This comes from David in Psalm 19. So listen to this, church. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's the commands of God. They're perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Do you gush like this about the commands of God in your in your journal? Is this the way you view what God has called us to do? Is this your heart toward God's towards God's command? How can David say this? How could David honestly mean this? It's because David realized that his father is good. That his father is good, he realizes that his commands are good, and he realizes that true joy is found when we are living into them. That's how he can say that. David understood his commands are not burdensome. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's a beautiful verse. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Church, the reason our burden is light is because we've been given new life. And the commands of God are no longer burdensome. They are a joy. They are our joy. Um, Let's continue on. I could talk about that for a long time. Um, 1 John, let's jump back into chapter 5 and let's look at verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Um, we've talked about this quite a bit already in this letter, but everyone who is born again overcomes the world. Church, you are constantly bombarded with what the world with the world's message the world telling you, you need this, this is normal, this is right, this is what you should believe, this is what you should not believe, this is what you should do, this is what you should value, you are constantly getting bombarded with the world's message. Every commercial, billboard, article, um, movie, they're communicating to you the world's values, the world's message. And and don't hear me wrong, um, I am not saying you're going to avoid that. Notice the text does not say, for everyone who has been born of God avoids the world. It says, no, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And how do we overcome? John says this, and this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The victory that overcomes the constant bombardment of the world is not for us to hunker down and try harder. Grit and toughness. No, the victory that overcomes the constant bombardment of the world is through faith in Jesus Christ. Church, the victory that overcomes the constant bombardment of the world is through faith in Jesus Christ. And I want this to sink in that you are actually called to be overcomers. Not just in your death, but in life, in your life that you are meant to live. You are called to live an overcoming life. Um, for a moment, I want to just drop back into this original church. Do you remember what was happening in this moment? John looks at this church and he says, I know the world is telling you one thing about your Jesus. I know that they think you're crazy. In fact, I know that a group of people just stood up from in your church, looked at you in the eyes and said, we don't believe what you believe. We think you're crazy and we're leaving. John looks at them in that moment. Now, for you and I, I know your Facebook feed is telling you something different. I know your nation is telling you something different. I know the people in your life are telling you things and they think you're crazy. And they think you have lost it, but there is victory over the world's message. And you have overcome through Christ alone. You don't overcome because of you. You overcome because of Christ in you. Amen? That is our victory. That is what we stand on. Um, church, I want us, with the, remain, with the remainder of our time, I want us to settle together together um, and I want us to look at three things from this text that talk about our new birth in Christ. Um, several commentaries that I've read call these things the three birthmarks. Love that the three birthmarks, the the marks of new birth. So you ready for your birthmarks? I know birthmarks you don't typically want them, but these you do. All right, you ready for your birthmarks? Here they are: believe, love. Obey. Believe, love, obey. So, believe uh, or faith, it's the same word there, uh, is that we grow in our belief in in, in Christ. Uh, We see this throughout our text. We see it, everyone who believes, we see our faith. The second is love. Love, we have seen all throughout our letter. All throughout this letter, we have seen this that we grow in our ability to love God. And others, We see it in our text all throughout that we're to love the Father and we're to love his children. Um, And then lastly, obey. Obey God's commands, as we've talked about this morning, that we grow in our ability to keep his commands. Now, believe, love, and obey, birthmarks of new birth. Now, what I want us to do with the remainder of our time is is I want us to look at each of these. Um, Each of these three things believe, love, and obey, are a direct work of God in your life. Each one of them are a direct work of God, meaning that in each one of these things, God is the first mover. God does something so that then we can respond. And I want us to look at these these real quick. And in each one of of these things, um, I want us to ask two questions. What does God do? And what is our response? What does God do, and what is our response? Which, by the way, church, isn't that the beauty of the gospel? Isn't this the beauty of the gospel that our God is the first mover? It is for me. I don't know. I I get all excited about that. But um, our salvation is never about our works, but it's about It's about us living our life, ongoing, responding to the work that God has already done. So I want to look at. Each of these three things, believe, love, and obey, and I want to ask, what does God do and what is our response? Let's talk first about believe. Believe. So what does God do? God saves you and gives you a new heart and a new birth and gives you the ability to respond to the gospel. Uh, Belief, trust, faith, um, these things can't just be summoned. Right, you can't make yourself just by willpower believe something that you don't. Right, you can't do that in normal life. I can't. If you don't believe something, you can't just force feed yourself to believe that thing. It, it it takes an act of God on our life. Um, you can't tell yourself to believe something. The ability to respond to the gospel. The ability to respond in faith in the first place is a work of God. He does the work giving you new birth, like we talked about, giving you a new eyes and a heart to believe, and praise God for that, because we have nothing to boast in. Amen? We have nothing to boast in apart from Christ. Now, what about you? What is your response? So God saves you, and he, and he, he gives you new birth. And now we are called to live our lives in a way that we continually grow in our faith, continually grow in our trust, and continually grow in our belief in God. I'm going to think about this. If you came to faith in Christ when you were 23 years old, let's just imagine you come to faith in Christ when you're 23 years old, Um, hopefully on your 78th birthday, Right? on your 78th birthday, your faith, trust, belief in Christ will have grown. Right? That's the hope, that our confidence and trust in Christ grows as we mature in our faith. So church, is that happening in your life? Is that happening in your life? Now, is it possible to believe in Christ for your salvation and yet struggle to believe him through something you're going through in your life? Absolutely. Please don't hear me wrong here. Absolutely. It's like the father in Mark 9. I love this verse. He says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. It's a beautiful, have you been there? I could, if I was gonna get a tattoo, that might be it for me, right? (laughs) Right? That, but here's the hope, though, in the midst of that, is the longer we walk with the Lord, the more we will trust the Lord in our walk. The longer we walk with the Lord, the more we will trust the Lord in our walk. Our faith, our belief, our trust grows. and So he saves us, and then he gives us the ability to then live our lives in a way that grows our trust in him. So that's believe. Let's look at love. What does God do? I have good news. Listen to this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's Romans 5.8. And then I want you to hear this. John's already told us this in chapter 4. We love because he first loved us. So what does God do? Well, God demonstrates his love for you by saving you at great cost. He demonstrated his love for you by calling you into his family at a great price, giving you a new heart, new birth, giving you the ability to love him and to love others the way he loves you. That's a work of God. No matter how hard you try, you would not know that kind of love apart from him. You would not know that kind of love apart from him. God loved you, gave you the heart to love. That's his work. And again, it leaves no room for boasting No room for boasting. Now, what about you? What is our response? Um, We've talked about this over the course of our time together in this letter. But John is repeatedly calling us to love God, love others. To love others the way that God has loved us. And, And we continually get better at being able to do that. So, returning to our analogy. If you came to faith... At 23 years old, hopefully, on your 78th birthday, you would have grown in your love for God and for others. You would be more loving. That you would have grown, that you would have been able to love your family better, love your church better, love your friends better. That you would have grown in your ability to love as you mature in the faith. So, church, is that Happening. Is that happening in your life? Or are you becoming more, let's use our word again, starchy as you get older? Are you becoming more loving the more you follow after? Because here's the here's the, the hope. the longer we walk with the Lord, the more we'll trust the Lord in our walk, and the more loving we will become. That is our hope. So believe. Love, lastly, let's look at obey. What does God do? Uh, we've talked about this this morning, but he's given you a new heart and he's taken one, what, what was once a burden. He has now made it a joy. He has now made it a joy. Um, and he gives us the ability to follow God's commands with true joy, with complete satisfaction. Now, are you ever going to do that perfectly? Yes. Yes, you will. The day you see him face to face, you will, right? But until that day, until then, we know imperfectly what we will one day know perfectly. We know imperfectly what one day we will know perfectly and in the here and now and until then, we know that through his work, he's given us the heart to see his commandments the same way David saw his commandments, the same way that David saw his commandments. Church, this is a work of God to change a sinner's heart. Honestly, church, I know that what God has done in my life is an absolute miracle. It is an absolute miracle of God, and now I get the privilege of following him. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's what he did, and that's my response. And so, what about us? What's our response? Uh, what What about us? Um, we're called to live our lives in a way that continually that we continually increase in our ability to follow his commands. The more we understand grace, the more our heart for him should grow, and our passion to follow him should should grow. Um, again, let's go back to our example. If you came to faith when you were twenty three years old, and hopefully, When your 78th birthday rolls around, um, you would become, you would be more obedient in your life than you were when you first started walking with Jesus. Right? The longer you walk with him, the more obedient you should have grown. And not only obedience, but the more joy you should have in obedience. That your joy should be growing as you... Follow as you follow him. So again, church, let me ask, is this happening in your life? Are you becoming more obedient, more joyful, more joyfully obedient? Is that you? Does that mark your life? Or have you grown more joyless, again, more starchy, as you have tried to follow after his commands for these years? Um, again, Church, the hope is is that the longer we walk with the Lord, the more our trust for him will grow, the more loving we will become, and the more joyfully obedient we will become. So we believe, love, and obey. These are our birthmarks. Now, I want to finish with this. One question for you this morning, and that is this. How do we respond like that? How do we respond like that? I mean, I want to believe, I want to love, I want to obey, I want to grow in all those things, but how do I do that? Like, this is a great message to show me that I need to grow. How do I do that? So I want to leave with this. Um, I want you to imagine that a teenager came up to you this morning asking for some advice. Okay, visualize this happening. Uh, right here in this room, a teenager walks up to you asking for some advice, asking about his relationship with his dad he 's struggling with his with his relationship there's a general lack of trust, lack of love um, he 's just struggling to listen to him at all honestly and and he asks you, "How do I fix this How do I fix this how do i how do i um, uh, trust him more, love him, obey him? How do I even want to do those things? Like, what do I do? What do I do? If, if, a, if I met with a teenager who was struggling like this, you know what the first thing I would ask them is? The first thing that would come to my, my mind, the first thing I would want to know is, is when's the last time you spent good time together? When's the last time you talked together? How is your relationship Going? What does it look like? When's the last time you listened and, and enjoyed a relationship together? Because the path to love, to trust, to obedience is made clearer through relationship. It's made clearer through relationship. They're strengthened through relationship. Think about it this way: it is nearly impossible for you to tell that that teenager to go home, go off by yourself, go into your bedroom, and try harder. I want you to try harder to trust. How's that working for you? Try harder to love. Just try harder to want to obey. Right? That is a... How do you do that? Well, you, you, you don't do that because they're byproducts that come from relationship. These are byproducts that come from a relationship. Um, now, should he do these things? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, But do you know the way to strengthen and increase his ability to do these things? Relationship. Relationship. Church, the same is true for us in our relationship with God. Belief, love, obedience, these are byproducts of a new birth. They are byproducts of a relationship. They are birthmarks And just as I would not recommend to a teenager that he just go off and try harder to trust, I just go and focus hard, hunker down, try harder to trust, just as I would not recommend him to go and try harder to love, try harder to want to obey, the call for us is not to leave here and go to the quiet of our rooms and just try harder to trust. Try harder to love. Try harder to want to obey. No, the call for us, like the teenager, is this— Come to the Father. Come to the Father. Spend time with him because rules and commands apart from relationship is just another way to say legalism. Come to the Father because get this, church. Through Jesus Christ, you and I have the ability to come to him, to come to him, to have a real relationship with him. So here is the how. We come to him. We listen to him, we listen to him in prayer, we we listen to him speak, spend time in his word. We live these things out in community together. We come to him. We come to him. And if you're here and you do not know Christ this morning, you are never going to find what you're looking for apart from him. Come to him. Come to him. In him there is peace and joy, forgiveness and hope. Come to him. Faith, love, obedience, they are birthmarks of a new birth. The life, the new life that God has for you in Christ, come to him. And if you're here and you know Christ, if you're here and you know Christ, hear me, the ability to follow him and to grow in him, it comes from a continual, ongoing response to the gospel. A continual, ongoing response to the gospel. A Christian who has lost the wonder of the gospel is someone who is no longer growing. But a Christian who is growing is a Christian who has not lost the wonder of the good news of Jesus Christ. The call is never just to go go home and simply try harder. Now, should you try to follow him? Yes, Yes, you should. Should you try to obey him? Yes, absolutely. Um, But trying to follow him, trying to obey him, trying to do all these things without relying on him will not get you anywhere. It's not gonna get you anywhere. The call this morning is to come to him, to come to him regularly and often, to come to him. And I wanna finish with this before we pray. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that we know that as we come to you, that you, through your Son are there, that forgiveness is in you, that peace, that um, joy is in you. God, I thank you that you are a good Father who loves us perfectly. God, I pray two things this morning. I pray for us to first realize what you have done First, realize your love for us, what you have done through sending your son. I pray that we realize that and we never, ever, ever grow tired of hearing it. That we stand on the truth of the good news that Jesus Christ came and he loves us. That your son gave himself on my behalf. That in all of my brokenness, Yeah, that he took it all in himself and gave me his perfection. I pray that every one of us in this room will see that and that the wonder of the gospel will grow in each one of our hearts. The second thing, God, that I, that I pray for is I pray for everyone in this room to be able to respond accordingly. That for those who do not yet know your Son, that, hey God, this is the morning that we respond. That this is the morning that we respond to the gospel for the first time. That we say, God, we need you. We place our faith, our trust in you. You have opened our eyes and we respond. God, and for those who, who are your children, who, who have been following you for, for some time, God, I just pray that you would show us right where we are how we can now respond to your good news. How we can grow in our trust and our belief of you. How we can grow in our love for you and for others. How we can grow in our heart to obey and the joy that we have when we do. So God, I pray that you give us the ability to do that. And it's for your glory, for your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.